Workforce Health Engagement, Episode 3, Matching Employees with the Right Hospitals for Advanced and Specialty Care, featuring Rick Chelko from Edison Health. Welcome to Workforce Health Engagement, a show exploring strategies to improve your employees' health and productivity and to protect your bottom line. Join us as industry experts discuss how to engage employees in population health management, wellness, and healthcare consumerism. This is a special series by the producers of the top-rated podcast, Engaging Leader. And now, with 20 years of experience as a communication consultant to Fortune 500 companies, helping engage hundreds of thousands of employees, here's your host, Jesse Leahy. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Well, it happened again. Got together with friends last night and discovered that a friend here locally has been out of work for months and still is not fully recovered. He has a mysterious condition that nobody has been able to fully diagnose yet. So they're just sort of trying this thing or that thing. And he's still not fully back to his normal uh, active self after several months. And I asked, well, where have you been getting treated and discovered that he's just going to a local provider here. And while local providers are often great for many conditions, boy, for complex situations and especially hard-to-diagnose conditions, there's so much evidence to say that you really just need to get to the most appropriate hospitals, those that are world-class in those given conditions or those type of diagnostics. And yet, employees and patients over and over again default to what's convenient or their faith in local providers. And this is just a a situation that uh, health plans and employers have been struggling with for a long time. But there's a lot of new things happening in this area, new uh, solutions that are offering great opportunities to engage employees and other participants to connect them and match them up with world-class hospitals. Here to talk about that with us today is Rick Chalko, who is the president of Edison Health, a fairly new uh, firm that is offering a new solution and services related to connecting and matching employees with world-class hospitals. Rick Chalko, thank you for joining us on Workforce Health Engagement. Hi, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Rick, for at least 20 years, or at least as long as I've been working with HR executives and CEOs, there's been a standard feature of many healthcare plans called centers of excellence, but it didn't seem like they got much interest or much usage. Uh, and I'm just wondering what's new today that, uh, that we should be talking about this subject. Yeah, you're right. Centers of excellence have been around for a long time, uh, primarily in the area of transplant surgeries. And they they started off with solid organ transplants and would say that they've been in the market for probably over 25 years in that area. And they were pretty exciting stuff when they first came about, but they've kind of uh, slipped into the you know, back rooms of uh, health plans and not a lot of people have paid attention to them for years. And, you know, these programs in the meantime uh, grew and grew. There's uh, most insurance companies have them. They tend to have very broad scale uh, transplant networks uh, for both solid organs and for bone marrow transplant. Uh, But still, they don't get a lot of visibility. They don't get a ton of use. 
And uh, our program is new from the standpoint that it focuses on something that, as, as one of the big insurance uh, actuaries said, boy, we never thought of that issue. And, and that's the issue of appropriateness. Because the centers of excellence were always just founded on the principle of uh, if we get people to high-volume academic uh, medical centers, they do a lot of these, and they will do a better job. The evidence is clearly there that the more you do, the better job you do of the healthcare you're delivering. And that was the basic premise. Uh, but nobody ever thought about, well, geez, are, are the ones they're doing appropriate? And, uh, and that's where Edison Health has uh, come into the mix. So what, what are you doing that's different? You're obviously looking beyond just the academic institutions. You know, we believe an even more fundamental issue than do you do a lot of these surgeries and do you have good, you know, objective outcomes, uh, you know, low readmittance rates, low infection rates, low death rates, things like that, that the even more fundamental issue is, uh, is the individual's condition being diagnosed properly and is the treatment appropriate? and, you know, the most conservative uh, for that individual situation. And what we've discovered is that there's tremendous variation, even among the academic medical centers. Uh, Dartmouth did a great study on this uh, back in October 2012 to demonstrate that even though we talk about evidence-based medicine, when you look at the teaching hospitals, there's tremendous variation in the intensity of care and the results, and maybe where your physician was taught will have more to do with whether you have surgery and what the results are than anything else. So it's pretty well known that there's huge variation when you look at local hospitals and especially rural hospitals in the treatments and outcomes. But even, even among the much bigger players, there's a lot of variation that would suggest they're not really following evidence-based medicine. Right. Uh, there's tremendous variation among these name brand, you know, high volume uh, teaching hospitals. And we have found in our own work, and, you know, one of my business partners in Edison Health put a network together for Walmart, which really was kind of a groundbreaking uh, move. And it was based upon work that he had actually done for many years when he was their benefits director. You know, and he just discovered that um, at a lot of these uh, hospitals, not just the rural ones like you described, uh, you know, the small suburban hospitals, but a lot of the academic teaching hospitals, too, they were taking very aggressive forms of care. You know, there's lots of uh, clinical trials, lots of experimentation, lots of teaching going on. Uh, There's a lot of things that are done to people that uh, really is not adding value and is, uh, you know, in all likelihood actually harming them uh, because of the overtreatment. So Edison Health is primarily doing two things, if I understand correctly. One is you're identifying the hospitals that uh, are have the best outcomes and quality available and creating contracts with them and making that available to employers, but also analyzing data for, with, uh, for ongoing continuous improvement, so to collaborate with those hospitals. Am I understanding that right? Uh, you're absolutely right. So there's a couple elements. One of them is you know, choosing the right facilities at the front end. 
recognizing that there really are very few facilities across the country uh, that go about this in a way that the real emphasis is appropriateness. Facilities that have salary-based physicians that evaluate patients' conditions with multidisciplinary teams, you know, they're using evidence-based protocols and holding each other accountable for the decisions they're, they're making, you know, team-based type t- decision-making. And you find that you get an atmosphere like that and uh, how they handle patients is very different. I mean, we've got, we've got one facility right now that is identifying that about 70% of the spine surgery candidates that are getting referred to them under one of these centers of excellence programs don't need spine surgery. You know, I mean, just they have other conditions that putting titanium in their back don't solve. So it's, it's really, it's, it's phenomenal how different it can be than when you go to a local provider who's, you know, an accomplished surgeon, is paid more for every surgery that he or she performs, you know, has lots of incentives, and uh, there's lots of pressure in an organization to be generating a lot of revenue. The decisions made to to do various surgeries are just astounding in some of these areas. And and the more you pay attention in the newspaper, the more you see that the stories are frightening out there. So first of all, I it's a little more common knowledge that if you get a patient to the right facility, even if that facility charges more for a given procedure than, let's say, your local hospital, oftentimes that world-class facility is going to be less expensive in the long run because maybe a, a certain procedure might cost $10,000 or $20,000, but at the with the local hospital, it could end up costing $50,000 because of, of all the readmission that, that might happen. And uh, if the patient is not treated successfully, they might bounce from hospital to hospital. And so when it's all said and done, the health plan ends up spending a lot more than if they had just helped that participant get fixed right the first time. But it's interesting that also, if you, there's also, um, as you're mentioning here, that I hadn't even thought of, is that getting the patient to this world-class facility can, can actually eliminate a lot of unnecessary care because the, the, the best of the best uh, have a solu- basically have a way of doing medicine that make sure they're treating what should be treated or is more likely to treat what should be treated and, and less less likely to do unnecessary procedures. Right. I mean, that's it all comes back to making sure we've got the diagnosis correct. In many situations, 10 to 20 percent of these claimants, the diagnosis is not correct. And in 20 uh, percent or more of them, the treatment proposed is not correct. I mean, the numbers are really astounding. And you talked about in the, you know, in the local setting, uh, if they don't perform it very well, you know, um, that may in the long run cost more money. You know, JAMA had a study out in uh, April 2012 that said the average surgical complication generates an additional 39000 for hospitals. Um, that's an example of how when things go wrong in the local setting, it ge- actually generates more revenue for them than when things go right. But it's a situation today where healthcare is generally looked at locally and you, you get in a given city and let's say you've got two or three big facilities and you've got these insurance companies that are off operating in there and the insurance companies are trying to hammer the hospital to basically charge less for the services they perform. 
And it's this little incremental game of market share and how much are you going to cut your price to be a part of our network and serve our patients. And it's a very incremental type game. And, and ours is a completely different uh, model. You know, ours is let's get the best. Let's pay them a, you know, very aggressive market-based all-in price. Uh, but they look at it as these are patients we would have never seen otherwise. Uh, because Edison Health is putting them on a plane and bringing them in from outside of their normal geographic service area. Uh, so it's all marginal revenue added, and they can be aggressive with their pricing and still make very good money uh, because we're helping them, you know, bring these patients in from uh, areas that they never would have seen before. When a patient goes to uh, one of these hospitals, they're not just meeting with a spe- specific doctor, are they? There's a, more of a multidisciplinary approach at, at a typical hospital of this caliber. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a very different model. And, uh, you know, when I talk to people about this, you know, they oftentimes talk about their surgeon, where I got to this one physician who's a real expert in this field. And, you know, just fundamentally is kind of a flawed thought process. Uh, because oftentimes you need different perspectives on people. And um, again, spine surgery is probably the simplest and easiest to understand. A spine surgeon doesn't generally do a behavioral health assessment as part of the intake process. And oftentimes there are behavioral health issues that are being manifested as somatic back pain. Um, You know, so having a different angle on the patient from another specialty can be very important in that process of assessing what's really going on and what's the best treatment approach for this patient. Now, it's interesting, Rick, you and I uh, have have worked together because we have some mutual clients. So I already knew about what you're doing through Edison Health, but I caught, it definitely caught my eye when Al Lewis's new book, Surviving Workplace Wellness, which is very critical of a lot of workplace wellness programs. Toward the end of the book, when he says, okay, I've been telling you what's all bad about all this stuff. Let me tell you about a few things that do look promising. On this very short list of good things that he mentions, he actually mentions Edison Health. And he describes it as as matching employers uh, of all sizes to help their employees get to the right hospitals so that they get the best care. And he, he says most employers who use Edison Health Services provide access to those hospitals for free. Is that true that even if, let's say, you have an 80-20 plan, typically the, the employer is plugging the, the patient into Edison Health at, at 100% coverage? That's correct. So, if, you know, as long as they don't have a uh, qualifying high deductible health plan with a uh, health savings account that requires you collect the deductible. If they can, they're waiving all the plan cost sharing elements, the deductibles, co-insurance, co-pays, and picking up travel expenses uh, for the patient and a companion. And, uh, you know, they're trying to make it as easy and as pain-free to get people there. And, and that's another thing about it is, you know, it's, it's a very different experience because when people are getting to our hospitals, they're generally being greeted by a concierge. Uh, many of these folks are also getting 
iPads and, you know, the iPads have information on the community. They have connections to their medical team. Um, they're being walked through uh, the different areas of the department to get the evaluation and the testing and so forth. Um, it's really just a, a completely different experience than you'd have when you're trying to navigate your local healthcare delivery system on your own. But there's a challenge in engaging employees in this type of care because there's a, a few obstacles or inertia, let's say, that makes employees, um, even though it's, it, it makes a lot of sense intellectually, uh, the, they don't always put action behind that. What, what are some of the things that you run into that it's important for an employer to be prepared to deal with? Well, that bias, uh, kind of ego bias that uh, exists is that most people believe that even though there's lots of unnecessary surgery or poor surgery being performed out in the marketplace, that that's not my doctor or that's not my hospital. Most people believe that their providers are very good providers. And, you know, unfortunately, they just have that bias going in. And I I faced that same situation with my mother-in-law. I mean, this is a this is a tragic story, but uh, she lived in a uh, small town in Pennsylvania, and that small town put a new cardiac unit, uh, you know, really attractive new wing on their hospital, and started bringing in surgeons from one of the academic medical centers a couple hours away. And uh, you know, she had a mild heart attack, and they decided that they should do bypass surgery on her, uh, which usually isn't the craziest thing in the world these days. But she had fairly advanced diabetes, and uh, we said, you know, Mom, why don't you come on up to the Cleveland Clinic, and uh, you know, Dad can stay with us, and you can get treated at a world class facility and recover with. No, no, no. You know our. This look, they've got this new, nice new wing, you know, everything will be great here. And uh, sure enough, you know, when they had that bypass surgery, it released all this junk in her arteries that led to a massive stroke. And mm. next thing you know, the local hospital's punting and life flighting her to the Cleveland Clinic, uh, where she spent eight days in the clinic in intensive care and then died. Mm. And, um, you know, it was it was a surgery that never should have happened in that hospital, if at all. And if you look at, you know, the objective medical record, uh, medical reporting, you know, Cleveland Clinic has somebody that was admitted that died um, <laughs> and that local hospital doesn't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like passing the trash. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it's just it's just so sad. Unfortunately, these things are happening. And you know, there was an example in the paper a week or two ago where there was a uh, a spine surgeon at a Baylor hospital in Plano, Texas. You know, Plano's a high-end community, a couple hundred thousand people. Baylor, this hospital had just won the Malcolm Baldrige Award for quality. You know, very prestigious. Well, they had a spine surgeon in there that had a chemical abuse problem and had killed at least one patient and had injured a number of others. And uh, they ended up finally figuring out that this guy was doing poor uh, and inappropriate surgeries, and they passed him on to another local hospital. You know, they made a clean recommendation, and then this guy moved over and started practicing at a different hospital in the Dallas, Texas area. And uh, when this all came to light, they uh, they finally gave up the Baldrige Award over it. But Everybody thinks their local hospital is is good, and unfortunately, 
many of them are just operating with people that are acting independently and there's not a lot of performance management and accountability as long as they're generating a lot of revenue. It seems like another thing that might come up would be who to trust. And I'm wondering if you have a patient who which would be eligible to take advantage of of Edison Health and and be matched up with one of these world class hospitals, how is that patient engaged? How how do they first find out about that? Yeah, so employers that offer this to their plan members will generally communicate it. Um, you know what good communication looks like. Um, <laughs> they'll also they'll also promote it as. Um, you know, this is a new addition to our program. We're waiving the deductibles and co-pays, you know, taking care of the cost and uh, and coordinating all of this for you. It's a great new benefit for you to take advantage of. And that's the way Walmart did it when they rolled it out. That's the way, you know, Lowe's did it where they're with their smaller, uh, more direct program and Boeing and PepsiCo and some of the others that have been really the innovators in this area. I'll tell you that there are employers that we're talking to, a number of them, uh, that are planning on having some, so to speak, stick to go with the carrot to help motivate people to take advantage of the program uh, because they understand the cost of people continuing to go um, and just kind of follow the flow of the delivery system uh, to have these issues treated many times inappropriately. Uh, through the normal course of care. So they're adding out-of-network benefits or additional deductibles or, you know, some some employers have made transplants at Centers of Excellence mandatory for years, but it, it's a combination. And, and then from a procedural standpoint, we're generally working with the claims administrator that's, you know, verifying coverage uh, when the hospital and physician calls in and then referring those individuals that are recommended for the type of surgery that Edison Health addresses over to Edison Health so we could explain the benefits of the program to them. So it's one thing to communicate the program when it's being rolled out or when the employee joins the organization, but a lot of those kinds of details are are the things that, okay, it sounds good and I'm glad I go to this company that provides, I'm glad I'm employed at this company that provides this kind of benefit. But when I'm actually sick or I have a family member who's sick, that initial contact, that's when you're really going to either pay more attention or ignore it and say, no, get out of my life. I just want to go to my local provider. So typically that first uh, touch that happens, does that come from the claims manager or does that come from Edison Health that says, hey, just we wanted to uh, recommend that you that you participate in this program. Right. So usually that'll come from us. So if an individual has, if the individual does not step forward on their own because they read the communication material or uh, remembered the benefits that the employer is offering, if they're just kind of going through the normal course of life and the doctors recommended that they go get valve surgery, for example, when that's being preserted, we get notified and we would reach out to that individual and remind them that the program is available and explain the benefits of the program and, you know, in some respects, sell them on why this is a very good arrangement for them. And do you have any data about what your acceptance rate has been? 
But we're still early in uh, this process, so uh, not far along, uh, not as far along to give you anything credible. But I can say that when it is offered just as, um, you know, a 100% coverage and, you know, take advantage of this new benefit and that's rolled out as part of an open enrollment process, uh, that's when you're going to get the least number of people. You know, you're talking probably 10 to 15% in that kind of environment when you're really catching them with um, pre-certification and prior authorizations, that's when uh, you can bring it up to, you know, 30 to 40%. And when you have uh, some strong incentives or penalties associated with it, uh, that's when the number can get to 50. Hmm. But it's not 100% of the people. Mm -hmm. And we really don't anticipate it will be, except for those employers who want to do it on the transplant side. It it seems like it's an area where the more an employer has a culture of health where the benefits of good health and evidence-based health are well-known and practiced throughout the organization, the more likely that a participant would trust an employer program as opposed to being suspicious about it. Oh, you know, oh they're, trying, what are they, they're trying to screw me now. They're, right. they're trying to deny coverage. I want to go to this doctor and they're telling me I can't. Well, there is, uh, you know, there's a fair amount of distrust of the insurance companies, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, the amount of trust in the employer depends upon the organization and uh, and the individual. Uh, but that that clearly can become an, an issue. And it's it's funny, you know, Tom Emmerich uh, he used to run benefits for Walmart, as I mentioned before. Tom and I have partnered up to develop Edison Health. And Tom talks about in his prior days at uh, Walmart, how he had a wall of thank you notes from people that just couldn't believe the care they got when he had helped send them to the Mayo Clinic or Cleveland Clinic or other facilities. And, uh, you know, that is an organization which hasn't always been uh, lauded for everything they did in the benefits area. But it's er it's a situation where he had a wall of thank you letters. Not many benefits people get walls of thank you letters. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but it reminds me of of a, a client that I have uh, worked with for a long time who has a medical director who is very highly trusted among employees. And when that medical director recommends to an employee that, hey, I really think you should go to uh, this world-class facility, um, I know you, you want you, – comfortable there at your at your local hospital but for this situation I really think you should go there they almost always will follow his recommendations on the other hand they struggle with um, when the their with their disease management program which is the the original outbound contact for that typically comes from the uh, unit within the TPA and there's been uh, the, the they just have a lot lower success rate there, and e- even people. Uh, I just had a conversation with the the director of benefits there, that they have. Uh, there's people that have worked with the medical director, followed his advice, and uh, received care coordination, but then and, and so generally support what the company's doing. But then they've had outbound calls to participate in disease management and 
took the received the call and had the conversation, but at the end of the conversation said, no, I don't want to do this. So there's definitely work needs to be done to make sure that all aspects of how that those engagements happen integrate with the whole program, the whole healthcare program, and support the overall culture of health. Because obviously that employee got some kind of mixed message that, hey, what, this, what, what the company's trying to do here is not in my best interest. You're absolutely right. And we actually have one, um, one client, a uh, new client that's very large, about 150,000 plan members, that um, has asked their disease management firm to be the quarterback on this process. So they are responsible for identifying these people and helping to refer them and get them connected into Edison Health. So I think it's a great opportunity to really leverage the, the resources and have people on the same page, you know, telling the same message. And, and I understand this is a hard message. I mean, I, we tried convincing, you know, my mother-in-law unsuccessfully, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Uh, so here was a family member. And I understand that, you know, there, there still are realities where people will have biases and want to go to the local doctor or local hospital, and we're not going to be able to stop it. But I think as the, as the program proves out and becomes more mainstream among employers, employers will get more comfortable in making it you know, a little less attractive for people to go to that local provider. So what else should folks know about Edison Health? Uh, it's, this is a, a brand new program, basically only rolling out officially as of the beginning of 2014, right? Correct. Yeah, we we worked on building the network all through 2013, and we're continuing to you know evaluate hospitals and negotiate with hospitals. It's it's actually interesting that um, hospitals are starting to call us now uh, to see if they might be able to get involved at the program. You know, what would it take to do it? And uh, and I'll tell you one of the funniest things is uh, Tom gets more of those calls than I do. One of the first things he'll say is. Well, you just got to agree to do unnecessary to not do un- unnecessary surgeries anymore. Uh, <laughs> let me say that a different way: to stop doing unnecessary surgeries. And they're like, "Oh, okay. Well, uh, I'm guess we're not ready for this program yet." <laughs> and, I mean, no, they'll, they'll admit, they'll admit, no, that's a showstopper. Wow. Sorry, I mean it's crazy. Um, so, uh, it's these are interesting times, and uh, and I think it's truly transformational. It's fun to see what the the enlightened hospitals are doing to respond, and it's frustrating, as you might imagine, uh, to look at the mainstream health plans out there. And uh, you know, some are all for supporting this, and some of them uh, are looking to shut it down before it gets started. And, you know, what, what we need at this stage of the game clearly are, are folks that are not comfortable with the status quo, that know there's a better way and are passionate about doing something about it. And, you know, they look at it and say these all-in average networks for, that are designed to meet everybody's needs just aren't good enough for our core issues and when you when you look at it, most people focus on what's our average spend per employee. When you break it apart and you look at the top five percent of the claimants, that tends to be where all the costs are really driving. And the bottom ninety five percent seems to be pretty still water in most situations. 
but it is these high-cost claimants where there's more and more technology, more and more aggressive strategies being put into play uh, where the dollars have really taken off. Now, you are contracting specifically with world-class hospitals that are carefully selected for specific procedures. So, for example, Intermountain Healthcare is one that you've contracted with, and you aren't trying to send every complex condition to Intermountain Healthcare, just certain conditions. Yes, and and I think that's uh, another you know common differential when people talk about you know the quality of care out there. They tend to put a broad brush on a hospital or on a health system and say, "Wow, you know the Cleveland Clinic is great," or "Wow, John Hopkins is great," or you know whichever facility or health system you're talking about. And the reality is the uh, the different practice areas and departments are different, and. Um, you may find great success in one area with a team that is structured and, and shares the philosophy and goes about and delivers the results just the way you want, uh, but that's not transferable to the rest of the hospital, uh, at least not without a lot of additional work. And we're picking it out by department, uh, not just choosing hospitals to do everything. So large employers would go ahead and, and sign up directly with Edison Health, if they want to participate, this these are companies that have ten thousand or more employees, right? Correct. And then smaller organizations would would uh, if they're interested, they would get that probably through their health plan. So smaller employers, it's, it's funny. There's a lot of activity going on right now with smaller employers uh, that are coming to us through what we're calling aggregators, and they can be. Um, the third-party administrator, uh, they can be a, an insurance brokerage firm, um, they could be a you know disease management or stop loss or you know a, a number of other folks that play these roles in here. And what we have based upon the demands of the marketplace done is we've structured these things that are called aggregator agreements uh, that allow, um, let's say, uh, an insurance brokerage firm to contract with us and provide the benefits to their clients less expensively. And because they're providing a layer of intermediary services, um, we can still reasonably afford to uh, serve them as one large group. And they're providing the benefits of scale to their smaller groups. Rick, I know it's still pretty early on, but you've had a lot of uh, building up development uh, learnings from Tom's experience at Walmart. So I'm curious, what impact do you think you can uh, bring in from Edison Health? It's pretty amazing that the numbers are eye-popping because of the cost of these surgeries and because of the cost of the follow-up treatment that generally goes with them, you know, such as the, um, you know, the anti-rejection drugs that go with transplant patients and so forth. So what we find, because we're focusing right now on spine, heart, valve, and transplant surgery, if you're looking at a group of uh, 10,000 employees, let's say, uh, you're probably going to have about 45 of these uh, procedures occurring under your plan in a year. Um, So if we're moving just say a quarter of the people, uh, we're talking about, you know, moving maybe just 10 people, you know, if we're more aggressive, you know, maybe as even as high as 20 people. So it's a very limited number of individuals 
Um, but the savings generated, I, I ran some numbers on this. Um, it's it's comparable to somebody increasing a uh, deductible on a normal PPO plan from about $400 up to $650 on all 10,000 employees. Um, so it's, it's really just remarkable. Here you're taking a very limited number of people and you're getting them world-class care compared to a very broad and large cost shift to your entire workforce. So a small number of people affected and you're not negatively affecting them. You're just managing them differently. And in so doing, you have the potential to uh, improve the future economics of the health plan without uh, taking anything away from the, the workforce as a whole. Yeah, it's, it's really the ultimate win-win-win. You know, just that's part of what gets us so excited about this. Now, in addition to the basic premise that Edison Health puts an employer plan in the position of having this preferred access to these world-class hospitals, Edison Health offers a suite of related services, care coordination, claims payment, performance reporting, and so forth. What can you tell about the value that you're adding there? Well, those are really just making sure that the program runs well, Jesse. Um, <clears throat> so what we're doing is, you know, when people are calling, we're making sure that we, you know, help them get into the pro- understand the program, get into the program, uh, help get the uh, necessary releases and medical records to the uh, destination medical center, and then help people with travel arrangements, get them set up with a uh, ID card for that. I mean, we even use a a debit card to help cover expenses. It's really a high-touch, um, highly facilitated model to help these people. And then on the back end, it's a uh, it's a very simple all-in claim payment uh, number. Because we're holding the contracts with the providers, uh, we have to you know be the ones that adjudicate those claims and uh, you know deliver across those benefits to the plan sponsor. And how does that continuous improvement aspect work? Well, the, I mean, the continuous improvement is really one of the really fun things about this. As much as many of the innovators in this area, you know, I've directly contracted with a facility. As you know, we're contracting with multiple health systems in each of the service areas. And what these health systems have agreed to do is to share information uh, through Edison Health with each other. So as one figures out, hey, here's a better way to handle the individuals that have muscular-oriented back pain as opposed to, you know, something that's happening in their spine, um, how about this model? And we see what the results are, and we can pass that on to our other spine centers. And they've agreed to do that and to, uh, and to help facilitate continuous improvement among each other. And we're obviously in a situation where we can see what happens when we send one patient one way versus another way. Hmm. Well, Rick, where can people find out more about you and your work at Edison Health? Uh, the easiest way is uh, just to go to edisonhealth.net, and uh, you'll see additional information on the program, um, as well as a phone number to reach out to us. And, uh, you know, we very much would, uh, would love to talk to individuals that aren't satisfied with how things are going now and are looking for a better way. Rick Chalko, president of Edison Health, thank you for joining us on Workforce Health Engagement. Thank you. 
All right, Engagers. As we wrap up this episode, let me mention that my colleagues and I at Aspendale Communications have had solid success in helping employers implement programs that help get employees and their family members to the right hospitals and other providers. As you can imagine, there are pitfalls that can cause patients to ignore those programs or worse, mistrust the employer or health plan. You can find out more about our team at Aspendale Communications on our show notes for this episode. And that's also where we'll put the links and information that Rick Chelko shared with us about Edison Health. You can find the show notes at engagingleader.com forward slash WHE3, as in Workforce Health Engagement, Episode 3. And while you're on the show notes page, you can engage with us by providing your thoughts or questions in the comments section, or by clicking the red Send Voicemail button. You can also engage with us at facebook.com forward slash engagingleader, or on Twitter, where I am at Jesse Leahy. Workforce Health Engagement is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm that specializes in workforce communications, helping midsize and large employers attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results in several areas, not only health engagement, but also talent management, benefits and compensation, business transformation, and more. Find us at AspendaleCommunications.com. If you enjoy this series, be sure to check out the leadership podcast, Engaging Leader, where my guests and I share ways to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. You can find both Workforce Health Engagement and Engaging Leader podcasts in iTunes, Stitcher, and on our website at engagingleader.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, Cecily Leahy, our web intern, Rick Terrence, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, over the long term, a program of the day won't help you boost employee health, productivity, and your bottom line. For sustainable success, you need an integrated approach to workforce health engagement.